Hello, and welcome to the Geek Tank. Today I'm here with Ben Higgins, the manager of Quarterstaff Games uh, here in Burlington and a member of the 501st Legion. Thanks for being here, Ben. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Um, we are also we are drinking uh, Foam Brewers, the fruit that ate itself, uh, also from here in Burlington, which is a really cool IPA. Hopefully as we get deeper into the glass, something interesting will happen. Um, so talk to me a little bit. Let's start from like level one. Uh, what, what is your history with games? So, I pretty much always played games growing up. Mm -hmm. My family was very much into going on camping trips and, and having things to do when we were out there, if we ever got rained out or whatever. So, a lot of these trick-taking games like Rook or Hearts mm. or these very simple and portable card games were kind of my first foray into gaming. I learned Cribbage very young. It was very popular with... My, uh, my father um, and also both of my grandfathers. And then from there, you know, you went into your standard board games, your Game of Life, your Monopoly, mm -hmm, Yahtzee, mm -hmm. all those that everyone remembers growing up with. And then pretty much it was flat with that until I hit high school <clears throat> when uh, this small card game called Magic the Gathering uh -huh, teeny uh, tiny. Hit, hit the scene. <laughs> and uh, I got into that, and that was my first real like hobby game. And from there, during the whole 90s uh, TCG boom, I was buying everything I had. Mm -hmm. uh, the Wildstorm card game, uh, based off the Wildstorm comics, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say I, those did not quite take off. Huh? <laughs> no, uh, most most of the games I played because uh, I played dozens of these trading card games. Only only Magic and Pokemon are still around today. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was definitely a a highlight of my of my life finding all these different things and exploring them all. But at the same time, it's a little sad that those aren't still around anymore. Uh, then from there, uh, going into into college and my post high school age, it was uh, a little bit of role playing, and but magic was kind of always that constant. Mm -hmm. And then getting into my mid twenties, I discovered miniature games. Uh, I nice. actually worked kind of part time slash under the table for a, a local game store out in Maine where I was living at the time, and they. Uh, they were getting into Warhammer 40,000, and I was like, oh, this is cool, I like this. And I started discovering all these miniature games and painting my miniatures and doing all of that. Uh, and that went on for, for a few years, and then when I was uh, about 28 or so, I discovered a, a game called uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Uh, this was another uh, trading card game that had been doing fairly well. It was still pretty small. I think I've read that comic. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Um, there was definitely a graphic novel they put out at one point for it. And I became super invested in, in L5R, in Legend of the Five Rings, uh, to the point where I actually ended up volunteering for the company, doing rules design Ooh, work for them. That's really and, cool. And helping to, to shape the way the game went in terms of mechanics and how templating and everything worked. What was that? What was like volunteer work for a game company like? Because I mean, I know like crunch time is crazy, but if you're not getting paid, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's always the always the tricky bit when you're when you're producing a game. A company's making a game. Obviously, you want to spend as little as possible 
to make the game so that you can make profit so you can continue mm-hmm. to make the game. Uh, but at the same time, when all of your playtesters and and rules teams and your your templating stuff is all volunteer, it can be pulling pulling teeth sometimes to mm-hmm. get stuff in. Definitely, uh, you almost want to have more. Uh, more staff than you actually expect because you have to assume some people will take time off and do stuff. Sure. Uh, so we definitely, out of the, there were five of us at the time doing the rules design work. And yeah, at any given time, maybe three of us were active, you know, and these were from week to week. So obviously, some weeks you'd be busy, you wouldn't be able to work on the game. Uh, but definitely, one of the big things was the, um, the 20 festivals base set release for L5R was was a period where I was pretty much doing a lot of the rules team work on my mm-hmm. own during that time. And that was definitely stressful as a volunteer, but, you know, it's, uh, I can look back on that and say I was actually pretty proud of the work I did on that. So, yeah, you know, we got compensated by essentially getting the game and getting uh, so that we could play it. Which is nice, being a collectible card game. Sure, you know they can be pretty expensive to get everything. Was it was it like a don't meet your hero situation at all? Like after (laughs) playing it, was it weird to work on it or? No, not really. Actually, the the team that was putting it together from uh, design to playtest leads to even art direction, everyone was super cool. Like it was really great to to meet these people and work with these people, and Mm -hmm. they really did feel like they were respectful of your work uh in in a in if you could do it great that's awesome if you need a week off that's fine too that's so they were they were really really good and i've actually formed a couple of good friendships with uh, a few of those members that were on those different teams that persist even today past the uh the end of my tenure working for uh, uh aeg that's no that's awesome i love i love when games people bring people together that's kind of the kind of the whole idea right do you think uh, like your work there led to an interest in like managing a game store? How did you how did you uh, work your way into the quarterstaff gig? Well, uh, you know, every, I think everyone who visits a game store thinks, "Oh my gosh, this is what I want to do." That's <laughs> um, I know and, I was that way, and that's definitely how I was. Like I said, I worked part time at a small local game store out in Maine, uh, and it was fun. You know, it was nice. But uh, when I moved out to Vermont here and found Quarterstaff, I was literally blown away with what Quarterstaff was in terms of its offerings and the communities that it that it fosters. Um, and you know, I I would volunteer and run events for them uh, from time to time, but I never really considered working at the store again because, to be perfectly honest, as soon as you start working at a game store, you kind of stop playing games yeah Uh, that's a scary thought so uh but one day i went in and one of the part-timers was getting done and i was looking for a few extra hours to to kind of supplement my income it just happened to be right place right time Mm -hmm. so i just moved right into his part-time uh was it literally like he was walking out the door and you're like hey i'm here pretty much yeah it was uh he, he was getting done uh later that week and the manager at the time was like I don't know. I, I, I got to find someone. And I happened to overhear him say that. And I was like, uh, what are the hours? I, I think I might be available. 
And it was essentially, yeah, okay, you're hired, like, right on the spot. Fantastic. uh, And then from there, working part-time, I parlayed more and more hours just showing what I could do. I found it really enjoyable uh, and and really started to take an interest in more of the business aspect of it rather than just, you know, running events or Mm -hmm. or jockeying the register. Uh, And then from there, uh, I moved into a full-time position and then about... Three, yeah, three years ago now, uh, there was a management change, and I happened to say this is something I'm interested in, and it helped me become one of the managers. Uh, originally, we started with kind of four uh, managers, and that's mm-hmm. down to two of us now, uh, and of which uh, we work really well together, me and my co-manager Jordan, and it just it's been a really good partnership between us, uh, and the store has been doing really well. Yeah, so. I'll say no. It's always uh, always packed on weekends, especially. But yeah. uh, also for for those events, which you mentioned you mentioned running um, specifically. I, I know I've seen you guys running like uh, tabletop game events, uh, like board game nights, Magic the Gathering tournaments. What uh, what goes into running an event? Like what what is that like for you? Uh, well, the first first thing is you have to prepare the space, and you know, literally, it's moving tables around, setting up chairs. If it's a tabletop miniatures game, you have to put out the terrain for it, mm-hmm. which means I need to know what type of terrain that game in particular takes. And when we actually work with four or five different miniature systems, each one's slightly different. Yeah. So. Can't, I have to know what those are. and can't drop like something from Tatooine onto a Warhammer 40k map. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> and, and honestly, the gamers get a big kick out of it because they're like, this fun. shouldn't be here. And then it becomes just one of those in-jokes that, you know, the next week they're like, "What? well, where is this? Where is this Star Wars building in my Warhammer 40,000 world? Like, I want it. <laughs> my space marines need to go to the cantina. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, it's just... And then once you've got the space prepared... It's it's managing the the players, getting them into games. Mm-hmm. If it's a casual event, obviously you're kind of playing matchmaker. If someone's sitting off on the side by themselves, they're not really engaged. You walk up, hey, you know, what what are you working on? You know, you, did you want to play a game? Because I see that guy over there. He wants to play a game. Why don't you very guys... very high school guidance yeah. counselor yeah. esque. <laughs> Why don't you guys get together and play a game? Um, if it's a tournament, obviously the structure is a little more rigid, so people are a little less likely to just kind of sit off to the side and watch. Um, but when it's a tournament, you have a whole other set of things, because usually if you're running it, you need to be a little more on point on enforcing the rules of the game and, and keeping an eye on sportsmanship and everything. Do you think uh, Do you think your mannerisms change at all between the two, or is it... It really, it really depends. I think mine do. Some, some people that run events for us are very casual and laid back mm-hmm. either way. Some are very rigid. You know, regardless, I tend to flow a little bit between the two, two different mannerisms and mindsets. Uh, especially in some of the more competitive events, like when we run uh, higher end magic events. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are tangible rewards oh, yeah. that you're competing for so you have to be that little bit more of a, a heavy when it comes to it and be like hey that was against the rules now i need to give you a warning the magic the gathering yeah. bouncer yeah um <laughs> and uh one of the things that i i pursued in in terms of that is the the magic gathering program has a has a judge program that mm-hmm. you can become certified for uh so i actually worked under a, a regional uh, level two judge uh, who trained me up, gave me some of these 
pointers on how to run these events a little tighter and everything. And I became a certified level one judge myself, which uh, is nice. Uh, but at the same time, it's not that different if I wasn't yeah. certified. Uh, it allows me to do a few things in a slightly more official capacity. But overall, it it just gives a little bit of weight to my... My, yeah, my engagement. for sure. Do you think uh, like your judge training affected your managing at all? Um, I would definitely think it was actually the other way around. Yeah. My, my managing and my experience managing uh, in my other work history definitely impacted how I judge uh, because I've held other management positions and other other retail establishments before. I definitely knew how to assert a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say a dominance, but you know, a, a more leadership position. Yeah, I, and obviously um, that's something you need. And and some players that want to become judges don't have that prior work mm-hmm. background, so it's actually something they have to work on a little bit more. Sure. Uh, for judging those events, where I kind of came with some of those skills naturally. Gotcha. Uh, and definitely how I judge is more of a reflection of how I manage rather than how I manage is a reflection of what I learned in the yeah. program. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Have you ever had uh, somebody like really challenge you? Like, has anything crazy ever happened judging the, the magic circuit in particular? I know people get really competitive there. Um, not not that I've had to deal with personally. Obviously, if you hop on Reddit or, or Google, you know, judge issues mm-hmm. or whatever, you're going to get a plethora of things on the internet because there, there are millions of people playing this game. And when you have millions of people in high-pressure situations in some tournaments that award very uh, legitimate cash prizes or or product prizes that have a high cash value, you're going to get people that that lose their cool and lose sight yeah. of the fact that it is a game. And thankfully, that is something I've managed to avoid. Uh, I've definitely given out game losses and, and warnings. Uh, I've never had to DQ anyone from a Magic event, uh, which is nice. And to be honest, most of the people, once you come to them and say, hey, this is what's going on, this is what I have to do to enforce Mm -hmm. that, they tend to calm down pretty quickly. And they realize, yes, you know, I was in the wrong, or yes, I definitely could have handled that better. That's good. And and for the most part, people calm down. We're gamers. We all are passionate. That's kind of synonymous with being a gamer you're passionate about something uh whether it's your game or 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 your fandom and the problem with passion is sometimes it does override our 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 mind and we just Mm -hmm. throw ourselves wholeheartedly into it but once we take that step and just go yeah okay people are very reasonable again and it's not hasn't been an issue so far. That's good. Yeah, that's really. I know I've been to I've been to a few Magic tournaments where things have gotten heated. I remember at a, at my local game store back in Connecticut, they had to kick someone out because he literally flipped a table, uh, which is yeah, that <laughs> something special. That is uh, that I I've had people slam tables. You know, uh, you know I've had people toss cards, but thankful I've never had to deal with an actual physical flipping of a table before. That's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that has uh, that you've successfully eluded that in your adventures. Um, what about uh, in in the store itself? I'm sure you uh, I'm sure you get some difficult customers. Like you're talking about that that gamer passion. I think comes through in, in more ways than just the tournament play. Yeah. So and and I I love this aspect of of the gaming community is that we're so inclusive. 
but because we're so inclusive, we get people from all walks of life. Mm. And and because of that, some of the people we have to deal with aren't as socially adjusted. They aren't um, <clears throat> in that personable space that yeah. a lot of people uh, exist in. And dealing with some of those, those customers can lead to some awkward situations. Uh, I was working with a customer once who I think he... Obviously, I'm not a medical professional or anything, but I think he was going through something, mm-hmm. and he ended up threatening me uh, with violence over oh, not shit. buying his magic collection, <laughs> um, which was which was really too bad that someone was so in need of a, a couple of dollars to to get something they wanted that they uh, that they were willing to to threaten violence over, yeah. um, and and honestly that. I had already made up the decision I wasn't going to buy anything from him mm-hmm. prior to that because he didn't have anything we wanted. And when he's like, ah, you know, don't make me get this, you know, don't make me take this physical with you. And I'm just like, okay, um, you need to leave now. <laughs> this is still my story. Yep, I'm, I'm in charge. I I'm have still the high ground, decisions. Anakin. Like, even if I was slightly interested, the fact that you said you wanted to make this physical means now I'm definitely not interested in anything you have to offer. This could be those could be blood magic so, cards. It, it could be. <laughs> it could be. Uh, you know, they, they can paper cut. So oh, I, yeah. I guess we could uh, you know, death of a thousand cuts from basic lands or something. No, that's but, some that's some serious I don't want I don't want to get cut up by islands. But but it it's it was one of those things that just I kept referring to the guy, saying, it's nothing we're interested, you need to leave, mm-hmm. here's your stuff, we're not taking anything from you, like, everything you had when you came in is what you have now, and just trying to de-escalate the whole, the whole thing, and, and thankfully, mm-hmm. he, he never actually intended to get physical, I believe, because he did back down when he realized I wasn't going to antagonize him, right. it was just, we're done here, thank you, please leave. And he eventually grabbed. Uh, he actually didn't take his stuff. He actually just left. And we held on to his stuff for the requisite sixty days. Mm-hmm. We contacted the Burlington Police. We said, "Hey, this is uh, this is abandoned property." And we held on to it for the sixty days. And then when he never came back in that sixty days, we actually donated it to some uh, local school groups. Oh, nice! So <laughs> something good came out of this guy deciding he he thought he might fight me over some magic cards. <laughs> well, I, I gotta say I can't. Uh, I was not expecting so much intensity out of the uh, uh, the board game store manager lifestyle. It's a uh, it's a place, and I it, I mean if I can get. A little real here. Uh, just a couple of days ago, we had the uh, the Jacksonville uh, shooting at the Madden mm-hmm. video game. Um, and to be honest, that's a that's a fear that I have as a manager of a game store is that this could happen in my space. Mm-hmm. This could happen under my watch. And and so one of the things we are always doing is making sure the space is as inclusive as possible and as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. By really being cognizant of de-escalating tensions. If someone is really worked up over something, you take them aside and you be like, hey, what's going on? How can we help? You know, and if they aren't responsive to us trying to help them, it's, hey, you need to leave. Mm-hmm. And not to say that our, uh, <clears throat> our techniques that we employ in a, in a tabletop face-to-face world would have prevented anything... But the more 
the gaming communities, online, video games, face-to-face tabletop games, can remember we're a community and remember we're inclusive, we we will do a lot better. And and it is really about the game and not about necessarily the differences of the people that play mm-hmm. them. I know. I think that's I think that's amazing. I I hope that. A lot of people in the geek, uh, specifically in managerial positions, but in in, the, in just the the geek community in general, kind of adopt that sort of attitude. Because I know I I'm of the philosophy that you know we're all a part of this group and a, a fundamental uh, a fundamental part of being a part of that group is. A lot of us come from marginalization. You know, there's still yeah. like in high schools, there's still. A oh lot yeah, of... I I was the <laughs> in, in in high school. I was. The, I was I was actually a very introverted nerd. Mm. I played in multiple band organizations in high school. I sang in the choir. I oh. did theater. Like oh I my was God, the, triple threat. I was the stereotypical <laughs> like keeps themselves nerd. And then through gaming and everything, I kind of came out of my shell and became yeah. this more extroverted, more confident person. So like we were all there at one point. Yeah, and, exactly. And we need to remember that. That's 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 what I'm saying is I, I think that um, further marginalizing within our community, kind of ostracizing people based on arbitrary stuff just because you know it hurts our feelings or, or we f- we don't see eye to eye. I feel like in the geek community especially, that just isn't really productive. And it's good to it's good to see uh, people in a position to change something about that feeling the same way. Yeah, no, it's it's it's. It's going to be necessary too mm-hmm. uh, for the our community to continue to grow and continue to uh, to expand and and really sure. uh, become more and more of, of what it has already become. Mm-hmm. So uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, we've talked a lot about the the managerial position and, and working the store and everything. What do you what do you do on your own time to stay nerdy if you if you actually get any time? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I play play a decent amount of video games. Surprisingly, um, my my wife is not what anyone would describe as a gamer. Uh, mm-hmm. She, I've played a few games with her. She's enjoyed the ones that I brought to her, but she's not going to dive into everything that I'm excited about. And, and we're totally okay with that. That's part of our strength as a as a couple, as we complement each other so well. But. Uh, because of that, when I'm home, I'll play video games because it's very easy for me to do that on my own. Uh, and with the internet nowadays and most video games being connected through the internet, I'm playing with other friends mm-hmm. that are that are in kind of in the same situation. Uh, I do carve out probably about one night a week to play uh, a board game or two for fun That's on great. my own. Uh, but like I said earlier, once you start working at a game store, you kind of... <laughs> Kind of stop playing games. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of our customers will play games three, four, five nights a week. Uh, like I said, I'm lucky if I play games for fun once, mm-hmm. uh, once a week. You know, I'm always learning new games though. I'm reading rule books. I'm right. watching videos so that I can talk about the games we have in the store and really be familiar enough with them that I'm not just like, I've heard this game is good, you should play it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and then tell me if it's good. Um, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting uh, dichotomy in how I get to play games for fun and how I get to play games to like dissect them and figure out what are the good parts of them and what are the parts which I probably shouldn't talk about when I'm working gotcha. with, with customers. And knowing those parts that are too, like, 
uh, to take Settlers of Catan as an example, a, a board game that a lot of people are familiar with. It is a very good game. But its strength relies on the people you're playing with yeah, because of there's trading involved and you are making agreements with other players. So if you have players that are extremely introverted that don't want to engage with the other players, they're not going to have a good time in mm. that game. Uh, if you get a player that loves the wheeling and dealing and loves to trade away a bunch of stuff, you know, for stuff that he really doesn't care about, but then he plays that Monopoly card to take all that back mm-hmm. and just screw over all his all his opponents, like, and then gloat about it. Like, yeah. you need to be aware that that's part of the game. So there's a very social aspect of the game, and if players are not willing to engage in that social aspect, then maybe they look at these other games that have the same kind of resource management as sure. Catan, but don't have the the necessary social aspects. Do you find that uh, this kind of necessary breakdown of games decreases from your own enjoyment of them? So it's really like flipping a switch in my head. Yeah. I really need to, when I'm sitting down, I need to tell myself, am I playing for fun or am I playing to try things out? Gotcha. Um, when I'm playing to learn a game and kind of see what the game has to offer, I will do stuff that probably isn't strategically sound just because I want to try out this particular mechanic mm-hmm. or I want to uh, poke in this direction and see where it leads me just so I can try out different things of the game. When I'm playing for fun, I tend to play to win because mm-hmm. that's the object that's, of most games is, yeah. is to win. Uh, so I will tr- be a little more strategically sound in my decision-making and, and, and that. Uh, so it's really, is this a game that I'm trying to win, that I'm trying to do as a personal challenge to myself or is this a a learning experience that i'm doing playing this game by trying to figure out what this game is about or or the different pros and cons of a a certain rule system Mm. yeah that is that is fascinating to me i think i i don't know that i would ever be able to to do that separation i a lot of us don't like to admit it, but everybody's playing to win, right? Yes. So yeah. like, yeah. I I can't imagine sitting down at a table and being like, I wonder, I wonder what this does, even though it's bad. It it really just comes down with the fact you have to look at what the longer, the long term goal is, uh, and really look at that. Obviously, I get to look at short term goals when I'm mm-hmm. playing by my uh, for fun because the short term goal is to win the game. But ultimately, uh, when I'm learning a game or playing a game for work. I am trying to get a better understanding of the game so I can sell more copies of the game so that the store can be more profitable so mm-hmm. that I can stay employed longer. So <laughs> makes sense uh, to me. When you kind of look at it through those lens, uh, it, it, it's a little easier to, to flip that switch over. I gotcha. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, of playing games for work, I know you go to a ton of board game conventions, right? Like Gen Con, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've been trying to do at least like two a year. Uh, Gen Con is the big one. Uh, Pax Unplugged down in Philadelphia. Mm. Uh, I mean the, to go that one. The first one was last year. I went to that. I'm going again this year, even though the, the timing is really weird this year, being the first weekend in December. Oh. Um, it's probably not a good time for a manager to take off from work when you're right in the middle of that the holiday, holiday sales yeah. season. But uh, again, it's I'm doing it because... One of the things I'm able to do with these conventions is I can literally play 20 to 40 games Mm. over, you know, three or four days and have that information to bring back to the store and implement Mm -hmm. that on, do I want to carry this game? How do I sell this game? How, you know, is this a game that will do well at my store or is this a game that I should 
just leave and not worry mm-hmm. about. Um, so yeah, I've uh, I actually skipped Gen Con this year. Uh, my my other manager Jordan went, uh, and he was it was his first year going to Gen Con, and it's definitely a, it's definitely an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gen Con is pr- I believe it is still the biggest North American convention. Uh, I think it's eclipsed only by uh, Essen Spiel, uh, big board game convention in Germany. Oh wow! Um, and they're they're like the two marquee conventions where pre- uh, board game production companies and, and designers unveil all their new product and everything, uh, essentially for the next coming mm-hmm. year. Uh, and, and it's uh, Gen Con bills itself as the best four days in gaming. And if you go there and you don't have the best four days of your year, you you did something wrong. Because <laughs> uh, there is so much stuff to do. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the dealer hall, like I said, mm-hmm. demoing games and seeing what's out there and what's coming out. Uh, but if you wanted to go to a seminar on how to make chainmail, that's there. Wow. Uh, there are <laughs> role, range. There are live-action role-playing sessions. There mm-hmm. are... Uh, the amount of... Uh, pen and paper role-playing that gets done at these conventions is amazing. Uh, Pathfinder Society and D&D Adventures League run events around the clock for four Mm -hmm. days. And if you wanted, you could play for four days straight. I don't know how you would survive after it. (laughs) uh, It would Uh, would probably be a condition akin to schizophrenia at the end because you've been role-playing so many different characters. It is amazing the amount of gaming that gets poured into these, these... half a week essentially uh in in the middle of the summer mm-hmm. and yeah it's 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 an experience if it's something you're interested in doing i would definitely recommend doing it and trying it out a lot of people think because there are so many events that they can sign up for they should fill their itinerary and just have something mm-hmm. to do every minute of the day and i would actually argue against that i'd say pick like one or two things per day that you absolutely want to do get tickets for that and then the rest of the time just wander around because there's so much stuff that you can do just wandering. Mm-hmm. Like even after the the dealer's hall closes, if you wander into any of the hotels right in the immediate vicinity, in the lobby there are 30, 40 games being wow. played just of the people that are staying there. They're, they're just in the lobby playing games again. That's so, so awesome. Yeah. It's, a, it's a spectacle. And it is definitely something that if you are interested in board gaming, uh, you should definitely check out at some point. Yeah, it's only it's only getting bigger. I think they broke. Uh, this was the fifty first Gen Con this year. I think they had around sixty to sixty two thousand wow. uh, individual attendees. That's insane. And it's all in it's all in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is a, a pretty big city. But it is amazing how many of us nerds and geeks and, and, and dweebs and whatever <laughs> nomenclature you want to give us descend on this city and it becomes such a such a happy place yeah. really. <laughs> like, we, yeah, we show up. These when yeah. events when events roll around like uh, I was in I was in Hartford for Kineticon recently and even though that's like a relatively small convention still, mm-hmm. everywhere you go on the street you see people in Sailor Moon costumes, people yeah. dressed as Pokemon, like all kinds of it's heartwarming yeah. I think to and, see and again that's all, it's all that that passion that this community is is known for uh, some of these people spend months and months uh, designing those costumes that you said and they're mm-hmm. gonna wear them for 
for eight hours that day, even though they're on the inside sweating and they're probably grumpy and everyone is like, stop, can I take your picture? Yep. They're not doing anything necessarily for themselves, but because they had so much fun creating this character's costume, this look, and seeing the joy it brings to the other people, it, it's, it makes it all worth it for them. It's like, commitment. Yeah. They're, they're spending their time to make other people happy, yep. but through these costumes. And through making other people happy, of course, they're happy too. So. Yeah. Yeah, my uh, my girlfriend does a lot of cosplay, and um, she has one costume where she wears these massive heels, and I have seen her feet afterwards. <laughs> if that is not sacrifice, I yeah. do not know no, what is. Uh, yeah, some of these costumes, you just look at them, and you go, "How? That that's right out of the movies." Yeah, like, like, but no, these people for the most part are all amateur uh, mm-hmm. crafters. They are. This is not their full time job making costumes. This is not their their craft so to speak uh it's what they do in their spare time when they're not working they're not sleeping they're not hanging out with their friends there although a lot of these these customers actually get into groups and everything um they kind of help each other out and um i'm actually part of one of them the uh the 501st legion as you mentioned uh, at the beginning uh we're a star wars costuming group that's awesome and we uh, we spend a lot of time working on our on our kits and everything. Uh, specifically within the within the 501st, we have a a, a relationship with Lucasfilm. Yeah, that basically says Lucasfilm lets us make these costumes, mm-hmm. portray these characters, as long as we're not doing so for profit, as long as we're not doing so in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lucasfilm just says you can you can use these trademarks, however, and, and we won't we won't mess with you. That's pretty um, awesome. Which is which is really cool because who doesn't love to see a group of stormtroopers walking, Hell walking yeah. down the street? <laughs> uh, and some of the more you know face characters, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, Han Solo, uh, one of our one of the members in the Massachusetts area has a fantastic Chewbacca, Ooh. and it is. A, you wouldn't be able to tell it from what walked off the screen. That's so cool, um, and it's uh, it's great. And and a lot of the things that we do in the five hundred first is very charity based because of this. Because we love being able to use these characters to give back. Uh, we do a lot of work with Make a Wish. Oh, that's awesome! Um, and Make a Wish is probably one of the big ones, but we've done other charities uh, throughout. I forget the exact number, but it was something. Uh, it was definitely a six uh, six figure oh, digit wow. of of money raised for charity last year uh, through the five hundred first, and that might have just been uh, through the New England Garrison as well. Wow. There's it's a five hundred first is a worldwide organization. People from all over the Philippines, uh, South America, here in the, here in the United States, uh, England, uh, Europe. We are all. Doing it for the love of Star Wars, but also doing it because we enjoy seeing the joy we give other people when they walk around the corner and all of a sudden there's Darth Vader, who is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> Which, I mean, that's kind of funny, the dichotomy between, like, if you were really in that world and you walked around the corner and it was Darth Vader, <laughs> right. it'd be a real oh shit moment. Yeah, no, one of the uh, one of the hashtags we use in the Legion is bad guys doing good. Mm. Um, because it really that. is, yeah, in, in the world of Star Wars, we are... We're space Nazis, essentially. <laughs> like not to, not to put too fine a point. Put it on, on the it. nose. Yeah, it's a it's a fascist government that rules through fear and and its military might. But here in the real world, 
these are beloved characters that put smiles on people's faces. Yeah. Uh, visiting children's hospitals, raising money for, for various charities, colon cancer research, um, make a wish, like I said. And being able to do that is is really that's how I want to spend my free time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, giving back in some way, taking my nerd fandom and doing something to better this world and leave it better than, than we came into it as. I think that's incredible. Um, and uh, probably the best note we're going to get to end on. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Ben. Yeah, it no, has been th- a pleasure. Thank you, and I uh, definitely appreciate the, uh, the, the drink while of we've course. been chatting. Yeah, so uh, once again, we've been drinking the foam fruit that ate itself, which uh, is absolutely delicious. It's a nice, nice cloudy IPA. Yeah. Full of flavor. Uh, foam, if you're ever in the Burlington, Vermont area, is doing some really, really fantastic things. Uh, in addition to being a, a game nerd and Star Wars nerd, I'm also a big craft beer nerd. So, <laughs> well, you got it all covered. <laughs> so I've got the, the trifecta in that. So this is, uh, if you're a fan of craft beer... You're in Burlington. Go visit Foam. Yeah. They're doing fantastic stuff. And to clarify, they are not sponsoring this. This is just pure, unadulterated enjoyment of uh, this beer. Well, we need to work on that. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> hey, I'll call some people. There you go. Um, but yeah, so uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, once again, this has been The Geek Tank. Uh, I've been here with Ben Higgins. My name's Ross, by the way. I don't think I said that. But uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a good one, you guys. <laughs>